I turned on CNN the other day, or rather, saw a case study had posted because he's the way that I mostly watch TV these days. If you're not already following Case yeah, Study QB, yeah, yeah, I follow him. Yeah, uh, from Case Study QB, always bringing, always bringing those hidden gems. Shout out Case Study QB for this clip. Uh, shout out to Case Study QB, by the way, for the clip. I didn't see this clip till I was going through uh, Case Study QB's timeline here. And our friend Case Study QB pulled. Case Study QB on Twitter. I found this video from our good friend Case Study QB. Although everyone has to remember that QB definitely stands for quarterback. I'm determined to make this reality. I want to share a clip that Case Study QB posted to Twitter. Without Case Study QB, I probably wouldn't know about half of these clips that I find. So shout out to them. Definitely give them a follow. So this video was uh, a great catch by Case Study QB. Shout out to Case Study QB for finding this. Case Study QB. Everyone subscribe to his. Everyone go to his Twitter. Also subscribe to his YouTube. Basically, I put out clips that progressives can use. When I send a tweet, I'm talking to my progressive family. Like if you're he watches way too much cable news and uh, corporate outlets, so you don't have to. And uh, posts really good clips on Twitter that a lot of YouTube shows then react to. everyone welcome back to another episode of independent thought my name is desmond price for today's episode i am joined by case who runs the account case study qb case thanks for coming on the show today how are you doing excellent can't complain thank you for having me on hey i appreciate it thank you for coming on today i have been seeing your name float around so many different channels over the last few years i consistently have been getting my news off of like off of youtube for years now been watching people like Kyle Kalinske and David Dole with the Rational National, you know, breaking points, you know, Brianna Joy Gray. Everyone seems to use your clips to make the content that they're making. So, you know, really cool for you to like come out here to my show and like talk to me about some issues. I'm really interested in all that. But before we get into the issues, particularly, the first thing I want to ask you is how exactly did this get started for you? And for the people who aren't familiar with it, what is it that you do online every day? Yeah, so I watch a lot of news, just like what you just said. You named a lot of independent news leftist uh, organ- uh, people that do independent news. But I, I I listen to a lot of those guy- people as well. But I also listen to watch a lot of mainstream media. And initially, I started off um, probably back in 20, about four years ago, um, where I would post clips on YouTube. And it initially started, I was a political junkie for a long time, since like 2008. But then I used to um, talk to my dad and send him, share links with him. And I started posting clips on YouTube and I'll share with him. And then I saw that it was starting to gain some traction. And um, so I started to continue to do that where I would post all of the clips from like, let's say Bernie Sanders for the month of February. I'll post all the clips and then I'll, for AOC, I used to clip all the clips from her and post it up. And it was an easy way for somebody who does not have the time to cipher through mainstream media and, you know, try to get all the little nuggets. This was a way to create all those news clips that progressives care about and could use and put it in one place. And I saw it started getting traction. It started going on to Reddit channels. And there were certain clips that would get a lot of views, hundreds of thousands of views. 
But what one thing I noticed was I started to get a lot of copyright strikes. Mm. So I eventually decided to just um oh before I did that, somebody in the comments of YouTube said, Hey, why don't you do this on Twitter as well? And I'm like, ah, oh, another place to go and post clips. But I was like, all right, let me try it out. And I tried it out and I started to gain traction on Twitter. So because I kept getting hit with copyright strikes on YouTube, I said, you know what, let me just wipe out everything. And I, I dedicated my YouTube channel to a show that I started doing. Um, right now we're on break, but um, every Monday we I would do an hour show with some other friends and panels and discuss topics and case study QB clips. But I started mainly focusing on Twitter and posting clips onto Twitter and I, I gained a following over there. And, and that's where a lot of independent media also started to see my work and they started to use it there. So I, I really appreciate everybody on the left spectrum from, you know, David Doe to RBN to Brianna Joy Gray to Savvy Saps to Harlan's media kit. They all um, check my accounts every so often and, and look for um, particular clips that maybe they might have missed um, from watching the news. So I really appreciate them and giving me shout outs. And that's how we're able to help each other out in this left ecosystem is they would look at my clips and then when they go on their channel, they give me a shout out or send people to my channel and that's how we can so one of the things you were mentioning just now was you know wanting to have clips that all these different like leftist youtubers could you know use on their shows you know so probably safe to say that you find yourself politically on the left so the next question i have for you is i mean one i mean how how can you stand to be watching all that cable news you know all day and every day i mean that's gotta take a toll on anybody but you know more importantly what was your journey to get to where you're at politically right now? Okay, yeah. So back in you know college when I was younger, I was not into politics at, at all. The first time I voted, I voted for a Democrat once uh, when I was in college, just going along with the crowd. We went to the booth and I voted for John Kerry. The way my <laughs> the extent of my political philosophy was R is for rich people, as in Republican, and D is for everybody else. That was my uh, political thinking at the time. So I voted for John Kerry, who was the Democrat. But I went into the booth and I felt cheated because I looked at the ballot and I saw a Green Party. I saw a Libertarian Party. I saw a Constitution Party. You know, I was in New York. So I saw other options and I'm like, wait a minute. How come no one told me that there's more options? I would have loved to at least do my research and, mm -hmm. you know, have a, a better understanding of who I wanted to vote for. So that was my first kind of awareness that, hey, there's something more going on here. And then I still didn't really continue to pay attention. It's not like I automatically became um, political from right there. I would say the next major um, catalyst was I was walking to work one day and I saw in the newspaper and it talked about how this um, Mira Giuliani like totally um, like talked down this other person on a democratic a debate stage. Yeah. So I looked into the YouTube and I saw the YouTube of it and it was Ron Paul talking to Mayor Giuliani about why the terrorists attacked us on 9-11. And he said we they attacked us not because of our women and our children and, and they our women dressed up in bikinis and because of our American lifestyle. They didn't, didn't attack us because of that. They attacked us because we, we've been attacking them for all these years. We've been bombing their um, homes and we've been building bases on their land. 
And I said to myself, like, okay, they hate us because of our freedom or they hate us because we've been killing their family and trampling all over their land. Which one makes more sense? So I, from then on, I became a Ron Paul. Like, this guy's making a lot of sense here. And I, I became a huge Ron Paul fan for a couple years. So Ron Paul is a libertarian for people who don't know. So he's on the right. So what drew me over to the left was this guy named Tom Hartman had a radio show. And he something that he always used to do was debate Republicans, debate Republicans on gun reform, on various different libertarian theology and all the different topics. And the more I listened to him, the more he kind of said, this guy's making more sense. This guy over here, this guy, Tom Hartman. And he brought me over to the progressive side. And then the last thing was he had this guy, a senator, every once a week. And it was called Brunch with Bernie. And he was he called him like the Americans uh, senator. And you could call into Tom Hartman's show and you could ask any question for about an hour to this guy named Bernie Sanders. And this is oh, wow. That was Nate. Yeah. Um, so I got acquainted with Bernie Sanders from all the way back then. So slowly I got more and more into um, progressive politics. And, and that's how my philosophy grew. You know, it, it feels like from where I'm standing right now, I, I'm seeing a lot of different people on the left, whether we're talking about, you know, Twitter or places like Instagram or places like YouTube, Twitch. It seems as though the left part of, I guess, the political spectrum is incredibly fractured. It might be the best way to put it. And it seems like there are some people who are more interested in unifying that fractured force. And there's people who seem to be actually actively working against any kind of unification effort. And they seem to have their reasons for why that is the right way to go as well. For you personally, you know, wh where do you land on that? Because I, I feel like when I ask this question to people, they all kind of land at a different place. Do you think that the left can be unified? And is it something that people should be working towards? I think I think there's always going to be fractures. And I read a book recently on Chomsky, and, um, and it's called like Chomsky in New York. And it talked about all the various versions of the left. Like, I can't rename all of them, like you could be a Trotsky guy, you could be a um, Bolshevik, you could be all these different versions of socialism, communism. I mean, it was a lot of different versions and it reminded me of what's going on right now. Where, I mean, I think they're probably more fractured back then than we are now, you know, um, even though we now we have like, you know, people call um, the boutique left or you have people called the dumb dumb left and they have different um, the boutique names. left? Could you explain what what is that a little? I bit? don't know. I didn't come up with the term, but it's, it's <laughs> like, kind of like I haven't heard that one before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think um they they refer to maybe tyt as that. Um, oh, okay. Me personally, I'm not a terms guy. I I, I understand the fractures, but I, because I'm kind of like I try to model my um and and the way I am naturally uh, my personality, I'm more like in the Con Cornell West lane. You know, Doctor okay. Cornell West. Not in, I can't match his intellect at all, but I could match his um, love of people. Let me say love of humanity. And okay. I have love for everybody. You know what I'm saying? That's where I, I come from, my Christian values as well. And I think that's where I have a passion for wanting, wanting to unify everyone. Now, are we going to disagree? Of course, I disagree with um, many of my fellow leftists. But the thing is, 
the disagreements is like in that small lane where we could agree on 70 to 90% of the issues or more, mm-hmm. but it's that little um, 10% that unfortunately truly divides a lot of um, the groups. So for example, them exit versus them enter or electoral politics versus like other outside organizations or mutual aid and stuff. When I, I think that it shouldn't be hard for us to say, hey, I disagree with you doing electoral politics, but if you want to do it, God bless. And maybe even take a, a step in, hey, if you're in the same lane as I am, as far as your politics and you run for office, I don't believe in electoral politics, but I would vote for you if you're in my district. Like that's where I would like to see us get to that level and the opposite of that. So if somebody says, hey, I, don't, I think the only way that you can change the system is through electoral politics, you know, mutual aid and these other initiatives are not going to work. Like workers strike back. They're like, ah, I don't believe in that. But you know what? If there's any way that I can help, if you can, if you knock on my door and you say, hey, there's a rally, for example, Medicare for all rally, um, whether it's in DC or at first they did it in each state. If there's something like that happening, I don't think it's going to do much, but I'm going to come and show up just to have an extra body there to show that there's strength for this initiative. So I would love for us to get to that point. I'm not sure if we're there yet. Um, I think there's a few times on the internet, at least, that we can have that type of radical solidarity, I like to call it, um, which is solidarity by any means necessary. So meaning like, even if you disagree, because I agree with what you're trying to do, I'm going to either support you or I'm going to support you with silence. And I'm not silence is better than me dogging you or me like trying to tell you like, Oh, what you're doing is stupid. You're so dumb. Like I'd rather people just be silent. Right? So here, here we go. We had forced the vote. Unfortunately, we, there was a huge divide and then people really could, hold on. Can we just explain really quick for those who might not know, could you explain so, what forced the vote was? I don't think everyone is aware yeah. of what that was. So forced to vote was a couple years ago. Um, I think it's fair to say that Jimmy Dore popularized it, but um, I know Democratic Socialists of America had it in their handbook, but it wasn't um, popularized until Jimmy Dore kind of really put it out there. And this is the effort or initiative to try to get the progressives who are already in office. Yeah. Tell them to withhold your vote for Speaker of the House, which at the time was Nancy Pelosi, um, withhold your vote so that you can get a concession. So literally exactly what the uh, Freedom Caucus Caucus or the the, the GOP led by um, Matt Matt Gaetz Gaetz and, you know, these people, what they did to Kevin um, McCarthy. McCarthy. Yeah. We were calling for that about a couple of years ago, about um, two years ago, whatever time that was, that we were calling to just to have a floor vote for Medicare for all. That's all we were asking for. And that was a heavy lift. Not only did AOC was against it, but it's also a heavy lift for other left leaders, I would say, you know, Sam Cedar, TYT, Jank Uger, and um, different people. I call them left leaders because they have a following, huge following. Yeah they were not on board with pushing that initiative. And um, that was unfortunate. So that was one time that it could have happened. I think Medicare for all, there was a big push to have a Medicare for all March in every state. 
unfortunately there were some leftist voices saying oh that's not going to work and just poo-pooed it it still went on i went to my medicare for all in new jersey and then i think uh, uh the next year there was one that everyone went to dc and i couldn't make that one but that was another one but i think i think it, i saw less people poo-poo that one um so that's all i'm asking for if you don't agree with an initiative if you're not going to support it, at least don't say anything so the one that i'm working on right now is forced the the debate which i think we're going to talk about later but I'm hoping that I can galvanize as many people, and not me, just anybody who is for this initiative, hashtag force the debate, promote that. I saw somebody, um, uh, forgot his name on Twitter, but he has a petition to try to, on change.org or whatever, to try to get 7,000 people or more to sign it. And basically this is an initiative for Biden to debate Marianne Williamson and RFK. Now, the reason why I think we can get a big coalition around this, and I'm, then I'm going to stop because if you want to talk about this more later, yeah, um, is because even if you're Dem exit, like you, you're not interested in electoral politics at all, you can say at least, okay, the Democrats are going to fight each other in this debate. So I'll support it if the Democrats are going to fight each other. I'll support it. And then on the other side of that is if you're for Marianne Wilson or RFK, you, you want their message to get out there. And so that's why you're for it. If because even Jesse Ventura would tell you how he became governor of Minnesota was when he debated, he was able to just totally knock out the other two opponents, and that's how he became governor. So there's power in debates and um just for democracy. So you could get the different coalitions together to try to force the DNC to have Biden debate. And even Charlemagne the God was saying like they should debate. And he's like more, I would say he's more an established democratic side but he's he's an independent critical thinker where he doesn't necessarily go along with some simone sanders and all those establishment people saying hey no nah, he was calling out me. kamala harris on his show that one time exactly exactly yeah. so um that's how i feel about that in, in a long answer way <laughs> yeah that's how i feel about that no it, it, it's it's definitely an interesting thing in trying to think about how exactly you could unify the left and, and what issues you would unify the left around. You know, forced debate is something that I definitely want to talk to you about and it's something that we're going to talk about. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to have more with our guest, Case Study QB. Stay tuned. Betty's Divine is a locally owned boutique on the magnificent hip strip in downtown Missoula, Montana that has been a fixture in the Mountain West since 2005. We have a fondness for vintage inspired clothing, shoes and accessories for humans, as well as the real deal found in our vintage department, Divine Trash. Betty's Divine presents a snapshot of Northwest styles with an emphasis on street, skate, surf and rock and roll culture, as well as Americana classics. Alongside a radical selection of clothing, Betty's Divine offers a damn fine array of shoes, jewelry, records, and accessories to satisfy any taste, whatever your age or vibe. You can count on us to prioritize financial, social, and environmental responsibility without sacrificing the look. Visitors enjoy a lovely atmosphere, dreamy tunes, and the best customer service in the West. And you can shop us online at Betty'sDivine.com. Indie Thought listeners. Has this past year helped you rediscover your creative and crafty side? Well, then you're going to love our sponsor for today's episode, 
Bathing Beauties Beads is a full-service bead shop in the heart of downtown Missoula. Whether it's seed beads, semi-precious stones, vintage beads, or just materials to make a project, they have something for every person and every price range. Not from Missoula? Don't worry. They have an extensive online store and they will ship directly to you. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, they'll welcome you and help you make your next project a reality. You can find them online at Bathing Beauties Beads on Instagram and Facebook or at bathingbeautiesbeads.com. And don't forget to use offer code INDEPENDENTTHOUGHT at checkout to save 15% on your order. Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us through this episode of Independent Thought. So before we went on the break, we were talking about leftist unity, whether or not it's possible for there to be a coalescing of the political left, something that I'm always curious to hear other people talk about. But, you know, I, I think one of the topics that comes around that quite a bit, and it's something I'm very interested to hear your thoughts on, is uh, capitalism. You know, it feels like a lot of people right now are talking about whether or not capitalism can even be saved. I think some people are in the camp that it definitely cannot be. Some people think that it might be under certain circumstances. Honestly, I got to tell you, this was not a huge topic in the mainstream sense in the last couple of years. I think until just very recently, I think Bernie Sanders is almost repopularizing it with his book recently. But where do you fall on this? Do you think that capitalism can be saved or is it beyond saving? I think we need a new form of an economic system that is not capitalism. So um, throughout history, we had you know, kings and queens, then we had feudalism, and then we had capitalism. Um, in a simplistic way of you know the history of the economic systems we've had in the past, and I think capitalism has served its purpose. You know, it, it got us away from the feudalism, feudalism system where we had um, someone over us. And that person could literally like have sex with our wives or <laughs> on our wedding day. You know, there's there's kings and queens that used to do that, and all these crazy are uh, not mainly kings that would do stuff like that. And um, we've definitely moved away from that. But what we see now is we have serfdoms in our jobs. You know, our boss is the king of, of quote unquote is the king of that job that can tell us pretty much whatever he wants us to do as far as how many vacations days we have, how many sick days we have. We don't really have a say in how much money, how much of the wealth that we're creating that we can have. And the only thing that can combat that is a union. So I can understand there's people that talked about compassionate capitalism. I uh, listened to 50 Cent. He had a good book called Hustle Harder, Hustle Smarter. And he talked about that towards the end of his book. And I understand people thinking that you can reform capitalism but capitalism is a hard, hard system. It always eventually goes to being um, predatory capitalism. It always gets to that point. You can come in and you can have FDR, you can have a JFK reform it in a way that's fairer, but we see what happened to JFK. <laughs> we see what happens to RFK. We see what happens to people who do that and it's not pretty. So I think that at the very heart of the system, it needs to change. I was looking, I read a book called Mutualism, which is um, an interesting book. Um, I read another book called No Bosses. So I think we really need to move to worker-owned cooperatives. I think we need to move in that direction. I think we need to move to 
local uh, sustainability, like as far as you know, farming and all these things, we should focus more at the local level of being able to be self-sustainable so that in cases of a COVID, you don't have to rely on a uh, supply chain that supplies everything. And then as soon as that supply chain is down, you know, you have all these people that can't get certain medicines, can't remember baby formula was a huge deal during COVID that you couldn't get baby formula. So I, I really believe in um, producing a system where it can be, you could be locally sustained, food, shelter, um, basic needs. We should, and one thing that I'm, I'm thinking about as well, as AI becomes more prominent and robots become more advanced, that if the government can help develop that, and I understand we're in a capitalist system right now, so I can understand that a lot of people could be pessimistic. I am too about how AI and robots will be used, but I think that if we change the system where robots are helping to produce food and, and doing um, labor where instead of a burger or food costing $15 because robots are doing it, it costs five cents for a full meal. I think that's a good direction that we could potentially go in. But of course there's a transition period, but um, yeah, th that's a whole topic. And I'm still exploring it in my mind. So don't judge me on that where people are like, oh, they're taking our jobs. Well, I, I want to live in a world where I could work two hours a day, right? And I still have shelter. I'm still eating a great food, whatever I want to eat as far as healthy-wise or whatever. And I want to go on vacation. So if a robot is doing the majority of the work so that I can, I just work two hours and then they're doing the majority of work, that's where I think the future should be. So now I could be more creative. I could um, do other things that I want to do with my life. I can organize. I could spend time with my family. But I'm still developing my philosophy on that. So don't judge me. <laughs> you know, personally, I'm a little more pessimistic when it comes to the AI revolution. I just did a whole episode on talking about how I feel about uh, the advancement on AI. And I, I kind of told my audience that I don't really have the ability to be objective about the situation because I think, you know, for me growing up, you know, I had, there were some people who were really scared of like the zombie apocalypse or aliens attacking or, you know, climate change, you know, like burning the whole planet up. I've always been the person who was afraid of the robots. Like I, I've just, you know, growing up with like the Terminator and with yeah. the Matrix and iRobot, you know, I, I've always been in the camp where I'm like, you know, once we turn on Skynet, you know, I think it's over for us. Um, so I'm going to refrain I from agree. that conversation because I don't, I don't think I can be objective about it, but let I me agree. go, you know, let me go somewhere a little bit different with you really quick. Yeah, can I mention real quick? Cause what yeah. I think of when you say that is executive 66, you know, Star Wars, where the clone <laughs> warriors, like they just triggered that they kill all the Jedi. So like, what if somebody just sends out an order, like if there was a, um, a robot for all, right. For example. Because a robot mm. could eventually in the future could be like your doctor, it could be your whatever you want. That is how they're thinking about using AI right now is in healthcare right? settings, yeah. Exactly, so now you have a robot- Or nursing all. settings, I think, but yeah. Or general practitioner settings, I don't, and I think in some surgical cases, but yeah. yeah. All you need is one nefarious person to hack and do something where they, you know, I'm not even gonna say it, but I, I agree with you to a large extent, so. Yeah, it, it, it's very something true. that I'm very skeptical of, but yeah. you know, I, I don't want to derail the conversation too much because the next thing I want to ask you about is 
uh, you know, the reason that we're talking about this originally, capitalism, I was talking about, you know, Bernie Sanders, his new book that he put out uh, in the last like few months, you know, like it's okay to be angry about capitalism. I, I wanted to ask you specifically about Bernie here. You mentioned earlier that you uh, listened to, you know, a show back in the day, back in like 2008, where people could call in and talk to Bernie Sanders. Obviously, you know, he's had a a massive impact on our political discourse over the last, I mean, almost decade now, I think, you know, like eight, eight years, particularly for you personally, what do you think has been the impact of Bernie Sanders on American politics in your opinion? I think Bernie's impact was huge. Absolutely huge. I think when, from when he jumped in a race back in 2016 or 2015, to be more exact, um, to run in 2016. And then he just let it fly. Like, I think he was not calculating as far as what he would say. He talked about Medicare for all, put Medicare for all on the map. Yeah. And being a democratic socialist on top of that, you know, where people are supposed to totally shun him. Um, the opposite happened where he was able to build a following. You saw DSA's um, membership grow, and he he definitely started a political revolution. Now, I can understand, and me personally, to this point right now, there's a lot of disappointment that he has given the movement. You know, our revolution uh, organization that he started out of his first campaign now call themselves a pragmatic progressive you know i'm looking for that leader that radical leader that's not going to compromise and yeah. is not going to um try to milly mouth with establishment democrats so i understand he's playing the inside game in a lot of ways but even his organization our revolution is trying to play that inside game and i'm just out here waiting for the outside game, who's going to push that. And I think that that's what's missing in this day and age, because even FDR had a strong communist party, a strong socialist party, who was able to push him in the direction that he needed to go politically. And, you know, things were not perfect, of course, a lot of people, uh, minorities were left out of the New Deal, but he did have that outside movement pushing him. And I don't think I think that's non-existent right now. I'm hoping that Workers Strike Back rolls into something that resembles what we need. But even Workers Strike Back, we need a multiple, we need a coalition of people on the outside pushing. And I don't see that right now. Unfortunately, like um Sunrise Movement, I feel at this point they get they got co-opted by the Biden administration. Um Yeah, they've completely fallen out of the national conversation. Don't even see them pop up anymore. Next generation. Um I and I never saw them. I never had a lot of information about them, but I just clipped yesterday that they not only endorsed Biden before, like, and I think Marianne Williamson and RFK was already in the race, and they're supposed to be representing the next generation. Like, this is a youth progressive organization, and they're dedicating $45 million to helping get Biden elected. And this is a president who passed the Willow um, pipeline. And marijuana is still schedule one, I believe, or, you know, yeah, schedule one, right? Schedule one. Mm -hmm. um, there's so many things. The, uh, the student loan debt is not forgiven or no. uh, at the very least the $10,000, which is very small compared to what is needed. So 
I, there's a lot of disappointments while I'm watching this clip and I clipped it of this next generation executive director praising Biden for doing all these things that he did not do. So it, not only do we have outside organizations, supposedly outside organizations playing ball, but they're totally toting the line and helping Biden um, and just whitewashing his campaign when we should be pushing for something else, something more. It doesn't even have to be Miriam Wilson RFK, but we should, they should be definitely calling out Biden and pushing for something, some something other than Biden, personally. That's you know, that is a great transition into my next topic, because yeah. that's the next thing I wanted to ask you about, is voting for Democrats. So l let me kind of preface the stage a little bit really quickly here. There are those who say that, like, yeah, even though the Democrats are not what, you know, we need them to be as far as like people on the left are concerned, that keeping them in power is still better for the country than what happens when Republicans come into office and what they do when they're in power. And it's something that I'm very conflicted on, even though I've mostly chosen, you know, the direction that I'm going to go in, which is I usually do end up voting for Democrats. And, you know, I can get into the specifics about like why I feel that way with you. But personally for you, where do you fall on this idea of, you know, do people do people on the left need to vote for Democrats because they are the lesser of two evils, quote unquote? So me personally, I'm like I said, um, I'm trying to, I, I take the lane of like a corner west where I'm not going to vote or shame you either way, either if you dem enter or dem exit, I'm not going to vote or shame you. I think everyone is smart enough to make their own decision. Everyone lives in their own situation where they have to vote for themselves and, and what they think is going to help their particular situation. Yeah. For, for me, um, and like I said, at the beginning of this interview, the first person I voted for was John Kerry. Yeah, he was the last Democrat that I voted for in the general. He was the first and the last gen Democrat. So I didn't vote for Obama. I voted for Cynthia McKinney and I voted green pretty much ever since. Now, I voted for Bernie in the last two primaries. I don't have a problem personally voting in the primary. It takes me five minutes to vote. So um, I, I probably I'm looking to see delay the land for this coming primary. And I probably will be voting in this primary. And if this the person doesn't make it into the general, then I would be back again to voting for the Green Party candidate or a third party candidate. So uh, that's pre pretty much how I feel about um, Democrats. I, th I think that we definitely need to break up this duopoly. I want to see ranked choice voting, star voting, either one. Yeah, definitely. Um, but this duopoly system is unfortunately hurting us overall. And especially because there's a great book um, by Matt Taibbi called Hate Inc. And it talks about how there's that secret primary where the donors is the donor primary. They pick amongst themselves who they want to be on the stage. And then from the person, whoever gains the most traction, they all galvanize around that person and push it. I think that's the problem right now. The donors are trying. And I think there's still a fraction of the donors, the establishment that want somebody other than Biden. I see it. I watched the clips and they're talking about Biden is too old. Biden is not popular. Biden is getting beat by Trump. So I mean, these are all true things, like that, though. <laughs> I mean, those are, true, those are all true things, though. No, it's all, it's all true. But yeah, that's the thing with mainstream media. There could be something to Tyra, Tyra Reid. They didn't talk about her 
case with uh, with Biden, where she had the sexual assault with Biden, they didn't talk about that until way later when it was too late. Biden, Bernie was like out of the race, and then they put a little blimp. So when they talk about something, it's for a reason. That's the point I'm trying to get at. So the yeah. fact that they're bringing up all these true stuff, normally they would sweep it on the rug. They're bringing it out is because there's a fraction of the donors that's like, hmm, we want to try to build a campaign to get rid of Biden. Let's try this. Right now, I think Biden's um, inner circle is winning. They're, they've successfully made all of the establishment Democrats who would run against him. They turned him into Reek. <laughs> like, I don't know if anybody knows Game of Thrones of uh, that character um, where they totally yeah. made him bend the knee, like Gavin Newsom, Phil Murphy, or any of the governors or any Rokana, anybody that was thinking of that could potentially would have um, primary Joe Biden in 2024, he created this um, committee and put all these same people on the committee saying, oh, you're going to support me. And then I saw a clip where all yeah. of them was like, I'm with Joe. I saw Elizabeth Warren and a whole bunch of people like, no, I'm I, with Joe. I saw them too. Yeah. Yeah. So it reminds me of Reek where you just like make these yeah. people bend the knee. So um, they're doing a good job making sure that he does not get primaried right now. But I'm very curious to see if we can force the debate. And if if that happens, I think there's a good chance that there could be traction for one of the outsiders to gain that type of Bernie Sanders following. But at the same time, I felt very disheartened when I heard about how, you know, Democrats, they have delegates, they have super delegates, so they can really finagle their way. Yeah, th that's the part of the system that I've always... I've always felt to be extremely undemocratic. Of you know, the, the Democratic Party, and I just want to make my position clear for those who might be unaware. I know that you never know when this is someone's like first time coming to your to your show. They might never heard your opinion before. I voted for Biden in 2020 only because I was in that camp where I felt like, you know, we had to get rid of Trump. Bernie was my choice in the primary in 2020. What state are you in again? Montana. Okay. And he was also my choice in 2016 as well, you know, but I'm also of the camp that even though I vote for people on the left, I don't believe in the philosophy that you can't criticize the left. Mm -hmm. And what blows my mind over and over again is the Democratic Party constantly talking about how they are the party that is, you know, of democracy, right? Coming after the Republicans for things like January 6th, for trying to like subvert the election, so on and so forth. Valid critiques. And always talking about how they prefer the popular vote over the Electoral College. Also a valid critique. I think the popular vote would be the better way to elect the president, obviously. At the same time, this is the same party that also has things like superdelegates in their primary system, which is completely undemocratic. A bunch of Democratic insiders who have their own special votes that count just as much as the delegates that are dished out by the states themselves for their primary system makes no sense whatsoever. The Republicans actually have a more fair primary system than the Democrats do. No sense whatsoever. Also, fun fact, in the Iowa caucus, their rural voters in that state actually outweigh the city voters in that state when they actually count up the delegates for the Iowa caucus. So they have, an, they have their own electoral college in their caucus system, which I always thought was very interesting as far as you know the party that claims they want to get rid of the electoral college, right? Anyway, let me bring this all back to this. So now we're talking about force the debate. 
And this is something that's being popularized right now because Democratic Party has said that they do not want to hold primary debates for the president against his two declared challengers right now and any other challenger that might pop up. But those two declared challengers are Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and Marianne Williamson. Now, I noticed before we got on our show today that you have in your bio on Twitter, you know, hashtag force the debate. So t- tell me a little bit about this. Why do you think it's so important that Biden have a primary debate versus his opponents? Because there are some people who say that, well, he's going to win anyway, so there's no point. You're just going to hurt the president going into the election against 2024 and we have to defeat Trump. And so give me your thoughts on all this. Why is it so important for these debates to happen? Yeah, I think it's extremely important for us to have a primary debate, um, especially since we haven't had an incumbent uh, president debate since I think maybe um, Ted Kennedy and I don't even know if uh, what's yeah, it was name? against it was against Carter. In Carter, I don't even know if Carter showed up. It was an infamous no, like he did. debate. He did. There was one that he debate. Okay, yeah. so we haven't had one in a while. I think it's important to hold Biden accountable for his first four years. Like, and and then also, if if you are somebody that is an establishment Democrat, like Ro Khanna had, uh, I watched a clip that I put out there. He had a good argument for why Biden should debate is so that or I think it was Julio Castro, so that he can get his debate chops up so that you can kind of sharpen steel and you can kind of get ready for the main event. But yeah. um, I think they have such little confidence that he can debate, which makes me even more concerned. And I think we should have the, the debate even more because if he can't speak properly, which is what a lot of people on Fox News and a lot of people um, are insinuating that he cannot, he's not incoherent, can't talk properly, can't uh, debate, then we need to be able to see that and decide if we need to get somebody else in there or not. And we definitely need to force the vote. Um, Something that Robert Kennedy tweeted recently was, according to The Intercept, the United States sells arms to 57% of the world's uh, autocrats uh, countries. During the Cold War, we did that because of at least these countries were anti-communist, but now what is the excuse? And I put out, I tweeted out, I would love to hear Robert Kennedy bring this up during a debate and to hear President Biden's response to it. it you know what I'm saying? So uh, not only that, but all these other topics. And I think that's what a debate is for in, in a democracy. It, it's sad, but it looks like we need a constitutional amendment to say, that if you're running for office, you must debate. Whether incumbent or a challenger, to qualify, you need to debate. And I would say at least four times at two hours each debate, me personally. So what do you think about that? I think we need to do away with this idea that the incumbent president cannot be challenged. That has always bothered me. It bothered, and I want to be fair, It. The Democrats are also trying to say that they don't see an issue because in 2020, the Republicans did the exact same thing for Donald Trump. I am of the belief that I I was mad when that happened. Exactly. (laughs) I was mad when that happened. I was like, listen, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter to me personally. And I I made this point on another podcast. I'm going to make it again. For those who might have heard me, this might be your second time hearing me about this. Maybe this is your first. In my opinion, even if Biden wins the primary, 
the debates are still incredibly necessary because in my mind, this is all about the Overton window. And for those who don't understand what that phrase is, it just basically means like what you are popularizing as far as narratives are concerned in our country when it comes to politics. And so I think when you put Biden on the stage with two other people who are also on the left and they have to discuss the issues and you're basically just speaking to the Democratic voters of America, the people who are going to vote for a Democrat or might vote for a Democrat in the election, I think it's important for the president to be in touch with his base and hear what people actually want from him, to hear what people are actually are asking from their government. And if you don't do that, I think it removes an incredible amount of accountability from a position that already lacks an incredible amount of accountability. You know, yeah. what we really need at the end of the day, because if you look at Bernie Sanders, for instance, or even someone like Andrew Yang, like they ran and they didn't win but they both transformed how we thought about certain policies in America, whether it was UBI or whether it's Medicare for all or whether it's like the $15 minimum wage, even though they were quote unquote failed campaigns, they changed how we talk about politics in America. That is the power of being on the debate stage, of being or running for president, of having these discussions out in the public forum. And, and so in my mind, even though they didn't win the election, they still change the narrative of this country. And that's important. That's incredibly important. And, and I think that for that reason and that reason only, we need to get people on the stage with Joe Biden. I don't care if he blows them out in the primary elections. We need to have these discussions in front of the whole country. That's where I stand on all this. 100%. Totally agree with you. And it's sad that you have Nancy Pelosi. She never, she hasn't debated in like 30 years. Yeah. You have... Um, all these establishment um, at the House level, the Senate level, that they just decide, oh, you know what? We're not even going to give a, a platform to the my challenger. I'm just not going to debate. No, and it's instead a of being shamed, like the the media just gives them a pass. So right, and the, and the last thing I'm going to say on this is the the argument that's made from people who are in the established media. I think it's a terrible argument, but I'm just going to put it out there for those who might be unaware of it. Is that you're going to harm the president uh, by having them go through this process because the attacks that will be levied against the president will just be used as like uh, as I guess ammunition for when they go against their eventual challenger in the general election. Let's just be clear about this. If you can't handle talking to people who mostly agree with you, then you're not ready to handle the person who doesn't agree with you at all anyway. You know, if you need to be insulated to that level, then you're a weak candidate. And at the end of the day, my biggest interest isn't protecting Joe Biden. You know, and, and again, people might feel differently than me, but I don't want a Republican in the White House. And so that means for me personally, the best person to lead the Democratic Party needs to be at the top of the Democratic Party. And if you're going that far out of your way to protect Joe Biden, that's telling me he's not the best person to lead the Democratic Party because even you don't believe in him. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm just saying, if you have yeah. to protect him that much, you don't believe in him. So yeah. I'm sorry. Did you want to say something? No, that's a great point. No, I, I like that point. Yep. I yeah. agree with you. Let me let me kind of close this out with this. I appreciate you coming on today. You know, I, I really appreciate what you do. I don't know how you sit through watching that much CNN, MSNBC, Fox News. That That is completely wild to me spending hours a day going through. But I think what you do is very important. And I know that that's not the only thing that you do. 
You were also telling me that you are working on something called the Mutual uh, Mutual Aid Party Initiative right now. Uh, as we're closing out this episode, can you just tell everyone a little bit about what that is and what you're trying to do? So there's a mutualaidparty.org. Mutualaidparty.org is the website. And you for right now, you can sign up, you put your email address there, and we're building an email list so that when we launch, you, you can be aware of it. And basically what it is, is a help desk system for anyone that needs help, anyone who needs mutual aid. So you can create a ticket, ask for help, like, hey, I need help cutting my lawn. I need help getting rid of this couch that's been in my house and I live by myself. So I need a second person to help me get this couch out of my house. Whatever it is that you need help with, you can create a ticket. It will pop up on the site. And then there's also people who would be looking to help other people. They're going through the tickets and say, oh, John is near me in New Jersey. I could help him with getting that couch to the front of his house and and um, help him out there. So I can click on it and I accept to answer that ticket. And then it's also going to have a rating system similar to Uber where, you know, Uber, the driver can decide if they want to pick somebody up by the ratings, that person's past ratings, or you as the, um, the passenger, you can look at a driver's rating and see, oh, I want to choose this person because they have a high rating. Okay. That's how it's going to work as well on the site that if somebody has a high rating, you're more likely to help them or get help from that person. So that's how we try to keep it, uh, keep it, uh, have accountability in that way. But it's basically helping people for free. And the idea is I'm helping you because one day I will need help. And that's how it's, it's going to work. There's going to be a lot more details um, that's going to be coming down the pike, like in different phases of what we're going to be rolling out. So, for example, there's going to be a political education component to it. And there's also going to be a systemic change component to it, which is basically electoral politics, ballot initiatives, um, and other ways to change the system. But um, first, the main part of the site and the focus of the site is people helping people. I love it. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate you taking the time to come on the show today. Tell us about what it is that you do. You know, for me, again, for those who, you know, don't quite appreciate this, this man is over here going through hours of cable news, looking through all of the terrible talking points that you could imagine, you know, Fox News, watching that hours a day, CNN, MSNBC, trying to find the best clips that people on the left can use to create content that will hopefully help them create better arguments for how we can discuss all these different issues happening in our national discourse. So thank you for what you do. So it's got to be a lot of work, I have to imagine. For those who want to follow you and what you do, where can people find you at online? Yeah, you can go to Twitter at CaseStudyQB, and you can also go on YouTube. I do a show. Right now we're on a break, but I do a show every Monday at 8 o'clock um, live on YouTube. But um. My guy here is, is telling me about uh, TikTok and also Instagram, so I'm, I'm going, I might be looking to move over there soon. Telling you, this Twitter's doing me dirty right now, so they they have me <laughs> behind a disclaimer wall. They're um, throttling some of the videos, so I'm starting to think that I got to move from Twitter. So we'll see what happens in the future. Yeah, life isn't all roses with Elon at the helm, is it? Yeah, not at all. <laughs> no. All right. Well, for those who are interested, those links will be in the episode description. So go ahead and check in the episode description now. You will see those links. Uh, if you like this episode, please go ahead and share it on social media, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, people who are still somehow on Snapchat, not sure why you're there. 
Uh, so thank you so much for checking out this episode and we will see you in the next one. All right.